I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. All right, we're continuing in our series through 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 9, and uh, after today, we'll actually take a break and go into our Advent season next week. I uh, I missed you guys last week, and it is uh, good to be back. It is weird being in another church. Good, but weird. Uh, So good to be back with you guys. You know, as we have entered into the holiday season, you may begin to notice, and maybe already have, uh, articles and maybe videos, uh, uh, TikToks or, or whatever you're on pop up beginning to talk about, um, <laughs> you're coughing, I really thought someone's phone was going off and that was really weird. How you doing? Good, good, thanks. I feel better now, you feel better? All right, good. So as you're going to start seeing all these articles, I thought it was this phone going, <laughs> Do you want my water? Are you going to kill me later for talking to you in front of everybody? Okay. So as we approach the holidays, you see all these articles and stuff that talk about things like uh, how to talk when you're with family and not blow everything up. You know, like uh, how to have conversations over Christmas or over Thanksgiving um, without losing your family. Uh, those types of things. And basically, uh, if you open the article and read it, it's going to say, okay, don't talk about anything about religion. Don't talk about anything about politics. Don't talk about all your conspiracy theories. Uh, Don't start bashing on uh, uh, all of the the vegans because there's probably a vegan in your family. Uh, uh, Don't do that. You know, for me and my family, it's like uh, my sisters need to know, uh, you know, they're all public school teachers and all of their husbands are public school teachers. And so it's super weird if they come in and they start saying, man, you know, all them homeschoolers are super weird, right? It's going to be a little offensive, you know, in case someone around our family, you know, might be homeschooling. I don't know. Not me. Just kidding. Yes, me. Uh, And it would also be weird if I go in there to all of my teacher sisters and their teaching husbands go, man, those government schools, boy, I don't know. That would probably be offensive. 
It probably caused some problems. It probably caused some issues and some weirdness. Now, why is it that we want to heed the advice of these articles? Why is it we want to go into uh, the holidays and spending time with family not blowing everything up? Right? Because there's, on the one hand, we might feel like, you know what? I have the right to talk about whatever I want. I have the right and the freedom to express my opinions and my thoughts. And if I want to talk about the upcoming election, everyone's got to bear with me. And if I want to talk about school choice or I want to talk about policy or I want to talk about this or that, they need to not be offended and be a bunch of little snowflakes, but we need to talk about it. Because I have the right to have these opinions and talk about them. Sometimes we might feel that way. And so why the push for restraint? Why the push for silence around your opinions and your thoughts? Why are we careful around the topics we bring up over the holidays with family that we only see every so often? The reason is because we don't want to lose the relationship. The relationship matters more to us than proving we are right on whatever opinion or topic that we want to talk about. We care about the person more than the issue, or at least we should. And so we don't bring those things up. In our text this morning, Paul is going to give us the Christian view for how mature Christians ought to give up their rights and freedoms, but not just for the sake of maintaining a relationship with family over the holidays, but for the even bigger purpose of being able to communicate the gospel to people without putting an obstacle in the way. So first thing that we need to understand, kind of the, the backdrop of this chapter is this, write this down, that we have rights and freedoms in Christ. That's the backdrop, that we do actually have rights and freedoms in Christ. One of the things that we say a lot kind of in Christian circles is Christ has set us free. He has set us free, but, but what does that mean? What does it mean? In Paul, in verse 1 of this chapter, he says, am I not free? Well, what rights and freedoms does he have? Well, the majority of this chapter is actually Paul making the case that it, it is his right to be paid by the churches that he has planted that is for the work of the gospel and the church planting that he's done. The whole first three quarters of this chapter is he makes the case biblically and theologically that those who work for the church ought to be paid by the church. You're welcome for skipping over most of that. We also know from the last chapter that Ryan did so well last week that Christians are free to eat meat, sacrifice to idols. There's a freedom there, right? Because we know that those other gods don't exist, and so our consciences don't need to bar us from eating meat sacrificed to idols. We can do that with thanksgiving to God, right? Which leads to another big freedom Christians have, the freedom from the law. We've been set free from the law. Now, as we're going to see in a minute, that doesn't mean free from the law in the sense that we can go and sin and be immoral or do whatever we want. It means freedom from the civil law and the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. So we no longer have to follow the food laws, guys. Praise God, we can eat bacon. Amen. amen. That was the best amen our church has ever had. <laughs> Praise be to God. 
We, we can eat bacon. We don't have to follow the civic and ceremonial laws. We don't have to do all of their traditions and all their feasts and, and all their different festivals or practices. We don't have to make sacrifices anymore. We've been set free from all of that religious stuff that we don't have to do anymore. Let me tell you this way. Some of these Old Testament things that have, have passed away or been fulfilled in Christ. Christian freedom means that you can get a tattoo without searing your conscience. <laughs> Says the guy with a lot of tattoos. <laughs> Christian freedom means you can get a tattoo without sinning or searing your conscience. It means that you can drink alcohol without getting drunk and therefore not sinning. And you have the Christian freedom to do that. Christian freedom means that you get to act and think and live in accordance with God's word and your own conscience, however you see fit. Let me say that again. Christian freedom means that you are free to act, think, and live, do, in a, whatever you want in accordance with God's word and your own conscience. You can have opinions about politics about food. Some of y'all crunchy about food. You can have opinions about sports and how the refs rig everything for the Chiefs. You can have, you can have your conspiracy theories. You can believe and think and have opinions on whatever you want. You are free to do and to think and to live and to behave and to speak however you want that is in line with God's word and your own conscience. That is the backdrop of this chapter. And now Paul is going to take that freedom and those rights that we have and he's going to tell us what we ought to do with them, what we ought to do with this newfound freedom. And look at verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. You see, here is the second thing I want you to write down. We have a mission that is more important than our rights. We have a mission that is more important than our rights. Notice Paul says that he is free from all. And that means he doesn't owe anyone anything. He's free from everyone and their obligations and their thoughts. He doesn't owe anyone anything. He doesn't owe people civility. He doesn't owe people restraint. He doesn't have to act in any certain way for anyone. He is free to live and think and do what he wants. And yet... Paul says that though he is free from all, he has made himself a servant. And the word there is doulos, which literally means slave. That though he is free from all, he's made himself a slave to all. Why would Paul do that? Why would Paul give up his freedom, give up his right to become a slave to other people? Well, he tells us why he would do that. He says, so that he might win more of them. You see, though he has the right and the freedom to live his own life, how he chooses before God, he is saying that the mission of Jesus, the advancement of the gospel, is so much more important than him and his rights and his freedom. The truth laid out here in God's word is clear and simple but profoundly difficult to do. And that this truth is this, that we should sacrifice our rights and freedoms for the sake of advancing the gospel. We should sacrifice our God-given rights and our God-given freedoms for the sake of advancing the gospel. 
You see, when it comes to going home from the holidays, we say that it's better to sacrifice your freedom and not bring up that controversial topic for the sake of maintaining the relationship with your brothers and sisters or family, your mom and dad, your aunts, uncles, cousins, whoever. And Paul is saying here that it is more than just maintaining relationships that is at stake, but the gospel itself. Look at verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Here, he is, here he's talking about what he's been talking about for the previous part of the chapter, that he has the right to get paid for his labor in and for the church. The Corinthian church had never paid Paul, though it was his right to get paid, but he says he has not made use of that right, and he is willing to continue in giving up his right and his claim, rather it be an obstacle to the gospel. That word obstacle really gets, I think, at the heart of this passage. You see, the gospel itself is offensive, right? Like if we talk about just the pure gospel, the message of Jesus, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and how we receive that, the gospel is offensive itself. It is a massive obstacle for people to come and submit to the gospel, right? It is hard to come and admit that you are a broken, dirty, no good, and rotten sinner, And that you need the grace of God who sacrificed his son on your behalf. That you need his blood to cover you. That is hard for modern people to hear and to receive. It's hard for ancient people to hear and receive. It is an obstacle for people to to get past. And so we do not need to add any extra obstacles, any extra offensive, any extra walls on the road of people trying as we're trying to get them to Jesus. We don't need to put any obstacles in the place. The gospel is an obstacle enough. And as Americans, I think that this is particularly hard for us. Similar to the Corinthians, a Roman colony, they loved freedom. They loved their rights. Roman citizens were free. Freedom, they had freedom to worship, freedom to speak, freedom to live how they wanted. And no foreigner would dare touch a Roman citizen lest they bear the wrath of Rome. They loved their freedom and what it meant to be a free Roman citizen. And as Americans, I think freedom has become sort of an idol for us. And any talk of removing a freedom for some sake, we talk like it's taking us back to the dark ages. We love freedom. And so often we fail to sacrifice our freedoms for the good of our country, for the good of individuals, and for the good of advancement of the gospel. And Paul is telling us here, you are free, but it is better that we would lay down our freedom willingly and become a slave to everyone else, that we might win them to the gospel. And if we do not lay down our freedoms... We will create obstacles to the gospel, potentially preventing people from coming to Jesus because of some other offense or obstacle that we have put in place. So what might some of these types of obstacles be that we might be guilty of putting in the place? Let me just give you you a couple examples. One obstacle might be our online behavior. Our online behavior, the way that we talk and interact online, we get courage behind a keyboard, might become a barrier to the gospel. Because when you go to share Jesus with someone and they know your online presence and see how you act a fool online, they're not going to take you seriously in person because they know your online behavior doesn't match the Christianity you supposedly believe in. Let me give you another example. 
uh, take like, uh, like bumper stickers or yard signs or flags or things that we, you know, put out there or even on our shirts, you know, symbols that we put out there. When I get behind someone's car who has a coexist bumper sticker, every negative opinion and assumption and mockery fills my heart toward them, right? And if I were to engage a person that had a coexist bumper sticker, I would already from the start be critical of anything that they had to say to me and anything that they try to convince me of, I am tuning out because of that one sign. Well, turn that around. If someone, say, uh, uh, if someone saw the bumper stickers or the flags or the yard sign or the shirt that you wear, would they see that? And for right or wrong, already be on edge or defensive or critical or dismissive of any opinion that you might give them? Would they prejudge you because of the, the swag, the, the image, the logo, the thing that you are putting out there in front of people? If so, here's Paul's point. You have every right to have that bumper sticker, flag, whatever. You have every right to put that thing in your yard or on your car. That bumper sticker, that thing might actually be true. It might be right. It might be correct. But what he is saying is that for the sake of the gospel, it is better for you to sacrifice your freedom and take down the bumper sticker, pull up the yard sign, take off the shirt, put on a different shirt, so as not to create an obstacle to the gospel. Another example uh, I think probably is helpful. I grew up in the, in the South uh, where the rebel flag was often on display. And for us, the rebel flag communicated Southern pride, baby. NASCAR, right? It, it communicated Southern pride. And that's all the people that I was around meant by the rebel flag. It wasn't intended to be a racist thing. It was, it was intended to be a Southern thing. Now, for a lot of people, it doesn't matter what you say you mean by the rebel flag. To them, it means one clear and obvious thing, slavery, op oppression, and racism. And so, do I have the freedom to get a big rebel flag tattooed right here on my arm? Yes, I have the Christian freedom to do that. But if I use my freedom, will I be very effective at reaching people of color or people that are against racism with the gospel? Probably not. Probably, if they see that big rebel flag tattoo on my arm, it is going to be an obstacle to the gospel. They're not going to hear anything I say because they're going to immediately think I'm a racist. And so my freedom to have this thing is true, but it is better if I don't use my freedom and I become a slave to other people. And I say, no, you know what, it's better for the advancement of the gospel that I don't do that. The whole principle, is this whole principle is something that missionaries deal with a lot. Imagine for a moment that you're going to go be a missionary in India, to the Hindus of India. And if you know much about Hinduism, you know that cows are sacred in India to Hindus. And if you are in India and you are trying to reach the Hindus with the gospel, and you have met some Hindu neighbors uh, and you want to invite them over for dinner, you have the right and the freedom to cook a juicy, glorious filet mignon. You have the right and freedom to do that. But if you do that, they are not going to listen to anything you have to say about Jesus because they're only going to be offended and flabbergasted that you've cooked a cow in front of them. And so you have the freedom and the right to do it, but what Paul is saying here is that you should sacrifice your rights and freedom so that it might not become an obstacle to the gospel and offense. And while hamburgers are in steak or awesome, maybe instead... 
have some rice and curry or whatever uh, Indian people, Indian food's like. I don't like Indian food, but whatever that is, y'all go eat it. This is why I can't be a missionary. I'd starve to death. I don't like rice. I could probably be a missionary to Italy because I like pizza. That's what God's called me to Ohio, where the only bad thing here is chili. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan told me he made the joke last week and it didn't go well, so I had to double down. <laughs> I love you. See, I'm putting an obstacle to the gospel to Cincinnatians, all right? I'm sorry. Forgive me. Instead of being passionate about our freedoms and our rights, God's word is, word is telling us to sacrifice those that we might advance the gospel. So then Paul gives us some examples of how he has himself done this very thing. And he mentions really three ways that he has given up his rights. He says in verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. That is to those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not myself under the law that I might win those under the law. Now this is truly fascinating to me. Because Paul is the guy who has been going around the world telling people that they do not have to abide by Jewish laws or customs, that they do not have to keep kosher anymore, that they can eat bacon, that they do not have to get circumcised, that they do not have to become Jewish before they become Christian. He has been telling the world, just come to Christ, Judaism has passed away. He goes so far as to rebuke Peter to his face because Peter wasn't eating with Gentiles and he was acting like a stuck-up Jew. This same Paul here is saying to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. It's like, what? He says that even though he knows that all of these laws they follow, all these things they observe, have passed away. When he is hanging out with the Jews, he will conform his, his appetite and his actions to conform to their practices and beliefs so as to not create an offense to the gospel so that they might hear what he has to say about Jesus. Because if he, he knows if he rolls into dinner with a bunch of Jews and he uh, brings some bacon to the party, that all they're going to do is stew over the fact that he's eating bacon and they're not going to listen to anything he says. So if Paul's hanging out with Jews, no bacon for him. He's got the right to do it. And he knows it is good and right and glorious and godly for him to go eat bacon. But he's giving up that right for the sake to win the Jews. But then he says in verse 21, to, the, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Now, those outside the law are the Gentiles and then the non-Jews, and Paul says that he becomes like them. Now, this is really interesting because many people, I think, have used this verse to justify immoral, questionable behavior in an effort to, quote-unquote, reach lost people. And they go do bad things. And they're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm just hanging out with the lost people. But Paul is clear here that he's under the law of Christ, right? He's... He, he, the moral law, he can't just go do meth with someone in order to relate to them about Jesus, right? So what does he mean? He means as much as he can, he wants to meet non-religious people, Gentile people on their level, in their spaces, as to communicate the gospel to them without offense, Paul has no problem with going to the bar or the brothel or the rough part of towns in an effort to meet people where they are. But he's clear that he isn't going to become a lawless person. He's not going to go act like them. He's not going to go give all morality up. But he will meet them where they are as much as he can. And the third example he uses, he says, to the weak he becomes weak, that he might win the weak. 
He's referring back to well, chapter 8, the weak conscience people, like Ryan talked about last week, those who thought eating meat sacrificed to an idol was a sin. And Paul isn't going to push the point on them and create an obstacle for the gospel. Instead, he's like, I can just give it up. And so how do we translate this into today? Many examples we can give, I'll give some already, but allow me to give you one that I think will be the most difficult pill for us to swallow. You're welcome. Paul said he became like a Jew to win the Jews. He became like a Gentile to win the Gentiles. He became a weak to win the weak, so that by all means he might win some. Well, for us, what if we needed to become like a Democrat to win the Democrats? Or become like a Republican to win the Republicans? The thing that divides us now more than anything else in the world is politics. And consider for a moment how much of an obstacle it would be for someone of whatever opposing party to hear what you have to say about Jesus. Imagine you are running errands around town with a Trump MAGA hat on. How many liberals are going to be interested and willing to talk to you about Jesus at all? Probably none of them. Because you've made an offense to the gospel. You've made an obstacle to the gospel. And if they don't talk to you, or if they do talk to you, it'll only be to come argue with you and not actually listen. One of the most heartbreaking things that I've seen happen over the last few years is children who grew up in conservative Christian homes, grow up, go to college, only to become incredibly liberal and leave the faith that they grew up in. And I talk to these parents uh, who are at a loss for what to do. But the answer is not to try to convince them of your conservative Republican values and opinions. That's just an, a, a, an obstacle to the gospel. Those are a stumbling block to them. Paul says he becomes like all men, becomes like all people. So how might we become like a liberal to win the liberals? Well, you can't try to shove our agenda or their, your agenda down their throat, but maybe you can find common ground. You might say, hey, I know serving the poor is a really big deal for you. Did you know that Jesus and the apostles thought it was a really big deal to serve the poor too? And as Christians, we need to get a lot better at that. Hey, honey, do you know some ways that we could be better at serving the poor in our city? Hey, I know equality is a really big deal to you. But did you know that Jesus' views of women were unheard of in his time? He allowed women to follow him. He spoke highly of them. He spoke to women at the woman at the well alone. Women discovered he was resurrected, and even though their word wasn't credible, the disciples didn't change it to where a man had discovered Jesus written. It was the women, and they let that be known. And long before Jesus, we see in Genesis that God created men and women equal, both in God's image. We see women honored and cared for and thought, and thought highly of throughout the Old Testament. That is unheard of in the past thousands of years, and yet we find that in the Bible. Isn't that amazing that equality is actually part of, part of the Scriptures? Hey, I think it's really cool, honey, that racial justice is a big deal for you because it's a big deal for me too because part of the mission of God is to bring every tribe, language, and, and nation together. And Ephesians 2 says that the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down and now there's neither Jew or Gentile, Scythian or Greek, but we're one in Christ. You see, we could either do something like, like that and find possible ways to build bridges so that we might bring them closer to Jesus. Or we could find the most extreme examples and find every point of disagreement and rant and rave and, and shove our views down their throat. And instead of building a bridge to the gospel, we'll build a wall. 
God is more interested in building bridges than building walls. Now that doesn't mean we sacrifice what we believe. Don't hear me say that we sacrifice truth for the sake of the gospel. We never do that. But we can build bridges. We are unwavering about the truth. But it does mean that we can do everything in our power to remove offenses and build bridges so that they might hear and take Jesus and his claims seriously. Find all the common ground possible. Laying down our rights in order to win the lost is admittedly really hard. Right? This is not an easy thing because it costs us something. Right? It, it costs us to put down our rights and our freedom. It might cost us the ability to be proven right, to be seen as right. It may cost us our pride. But whatever we have to give up and wh- wherever we can build bridges and still be faithful to God's word for the sake of the gospel, Paul is saying, it's worth it. It's worth it because of what he says in verse 23. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. If it means I give up my rights to be right or my right to be heard or my right to eat certain food or my right to display my political opinions, I gladly give up my rights for the chance that I might help rescue someone from the fires of hell that they might be able to share in the blessings of the gospel with me. If sacrificing my rights means I gain another brother or sister in the Lord rescued from the clutches of the evil one who gets redeemed by Jesus, is not that worth more than me swallowing my pride and my ego and my rights that they might gain the prize that by God's grace alone I have gained? And is this not what Jesus has done? Is Je- did Jesus not come and sacrifice his rights and freedoms? To come and not to be served as was his right as king of the universe, but to come and be to serve. To, to come and lay down his rights to, his rights to a, a trial by due process. Instead, he had a trial in the middle of the night where he was found guilty, where he was actually innocent. And instead of he was framed and executed so that we might be set free. By giving up our rights, we are not just doing what the Lord, are we not just doing what the Lord has modeled for us on the cross? Finally, Paul Paul brings this point home. Verse 24, he says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it as to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Guys, doing evangelism, sharing the gospel, is extremely difficult in a culture that despises you for it, can arrest you for it, beat you and kill you for it. And here we find Paul passionate about one thing in his life, sharing the gospel. He didn't just wake up one day and become this amazing missionary, amazing evangelist uh, who, who could go and sacrifice all of his freedoms and go share the gospel and plant churches and help see the, the known world at the time come to Christ. But here he gives us an illustration of how he got there. That like, uh, the, he's talking about the early Olympic games, right? Like as an athlete, if you're going to be a good athlete, you've got to train you have to have a lot of dedication. You've got to put a lot of time in. 
you get a personal trainers and you've got to practice, practice, practice. And anyone who enters one of these competitions, they do it to win because they put their whole life into training for this moment. And they give their life to getting better and better at this sport. Joe Burrow did not become the elite quarterback he is today by playing video games. He became the elite quarterback he did today by training and training and training. And so Paul says, these athletes dedicate their life to this task, but in the end, all they get is a perishable wreath like that. All they get is a, is a, a wreath that will wither and decay and rot and go away. And so how much more should we train? How much more should we not be someone who runs aimlessly or box just hitting the air? But how much more should we, as follower of Jesus, not run haphazardly, but dedicate ourselves to what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to advance the gospel and what it means to go and share the gospel with your neighbors and with your coworkers and with your family. And here is the really sad reality. Most people, if someone came up to them, if someone came up to most people and said, I've heard about this Jesus and I want to believe in him and follow him, can you tell me about this gospel I've heard? Most people would have a really hard time saying much more than accept Jesus into your heart. We'd have a hard time uh, uh, expounding on and explaining the gospel and what it means that Jesus died on a cross and he's taken our sin. We'd have a hard time with that. We'd, we'd struggle on knowing what to say. And it's because we've not practiced. It's because we've not trained. It's because we've not invested time. Instead, we've invested time into perishable things that will pass away. Instead of building and investing and training to run the race God has set before you, we have, uh, have invested and trained in, in earthly things that will pass away. We get, we're, we're running the race, right? But then we get distracted by the cute girl in the bleachers and we run over here. And we're, oh, i got to get back on the track. And we run over here and we're running and running. And then we get distracted by the concession stand. Ooh, a hot dog. And we get to get back on the race and we run, run. And we're running aimlessly. We're running all over the place and we don't see the finish line. Or we're a boxer who is really good at throwing punches but never lands any of them. It's because we lack training. Because the Christian life is a race. And, 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 and I'll ask this question. I think it might be a good way to ask it. What is your aim in life? And are you, are you running aimlessly like Paul is saying here? You know, if you don't have a target, if you're not aimed at anything, you will hit it every time. And so if your life, you're just running haphazardly, just running, running, doing whatever, you're always hitting what you're aiming at because you're not aiming at anything. And so instead, it's better that we've got an aim. That we say, you know what, I follow the king and a kingdom. And my task in this world is to advance that kingdom. And so I'm going to train and refocus and spend my time and energy and target trying to hit that goal. To be a disciple maker. To be somebody who builds bridges and not walls. To be somebody who removes barriers. To be somebody who wins other people to Christ and advances the kingdom. To be someone who invests in eternity and not the temporary. If you want to have an aim in your life to follow Christ, to make disciples, it takes discipline. Like Paul said here. It is like being a pro athlete. It doesn't happen overnight. But if you keep practicing, keep trying, keep learning, keep growing, eventually you will find the confidence enough to encounter people with the gospel. You will find confidence enough to sacrifice your rights and freedoms for the sake of others. You will find confidence enough to build bridges even when people you once saw as your enemies, you can build bridges to them. Because God and you were once enemies. And God has built a bridge to you. 
And how much more can we build bridges to those who are far less of an enemy to us? Some of you are terrified <laughs> to share the gospel with your coworker, your neighbor. What do you do when you walk out of your door and you're taking your trash out and your neighbor's taking the trash out at the same time? And you start conversation. You're like, this is my moment. This is, I could do it. I could share the gospel with them. Ask him about Jesus. And you don't do it because you're terrified. And the reason you're terrified is because you haven't trained. Like an athlete who has to work hard at being the best, who, who only one runner wins and you've got to train to be that. You've not trained. You've not practiced in your mind and with other people. Hey, if I can encounter someone with the gospel, what might that look like? What would I say? What would I ask? How would I do that? You've never asked those questions. You've never done that. And so you're terrified when you get in that situation. Of course you are. It'd be like if I put a helmet on you and put you in the Bengals and said, hey, go, go play. You'd be like, ah, I'm going to get killed. Right? And so we've got to train. We've got to practice. We've got to work hard. So that we might be ready to tell people about Jesus, so that we might be ready to build bridges, so that we might be ready to go home today and pull that bumper sticker off our car, to pull that yard sign up out of our yard, to pull that sign up off of our wall, to take those shirts out of our drawer, to take whatever offense of the gospel we might have, to get rid of it, and to figure out what it means for us to remove those obstacles and then actually share the gospel with people so that they might come to faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning, your word has a difficult task for us. And it is difficult for us who love our rights and love our freedoms and know that we have every right and every freedom and every reason to be able to do the things that we want, to say the things that we want to say, to uh, display the things that we want to display because it is our God-given right. But Father, would you grow us into maturity in Christ? Which means that though I have the right, I don't have to use the right. Though I have the freedom, doesn't mean I have to use the freedom. But rather, I can lay it down for the sake of others. Lord, that is a difficult thing. And would you help me and help us as a church to build bridges and not walls. To not put up obstacles to the gospel, but to tear them down. To be more concerned about people coming to faith in Jesus than people coming to believe in my pet project, my, my belief, my opinion, my thing. Help us to work not for a perishable thing that will pass away, an election that will come and go, an opinion that will come and go, but a wreath and a kingdom that will last forever. If you are here this morning and you do not know this Jesus and you want to learn more about him as we sing this song, I'd love to talk to you about him and what it means for you to follow him. If you're here this morning and, and, and you are a person who you can already see the obstacles that you've put up to the gospel. Do not feel shame about that. Jesus has washed us clean of shame. Don't be defensive about that. Instead, just go tear those things down. Go tear them down to the glory of God. Father, would you help us to be people who tear down obstacles and build bridges so that the gospel may advance to those who need it. Father, we love you so much. In Christ's name we pray. All those people said, let's stand and sing.